Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I am so thrilled to be with you. Um, if you were listening last week, you know that um, it was uh, the whole week of encores because I was at the Sacred Liturgy Conference in Spokane, Washington. Absolutely outstanding conference. And many were able to register online who could not be there in person, but fantastic speakers. Wonderful hearts, wonderful conference, every minute a treasure, very well organized. And I would say if you have any opportunity to go to the Sacred Liturgy Conference in the future, um, it's been on the West Coast for several years now, uh, this year in Spokane. Um, It's been in Medford and Portland, just tremendous. And Bishop Thomas Daly celebrated Mass and gave a wonderful homily. Um, Archbishop Gullickson was... Uh, celebrated the High Pontifical Mass. It was a magnificent conference. So if you go to Sacred Liturgy Conference online for 2021, Sacred Liturgy Conference 2021 from Spokane, Washington, um, I I imagine the videos um, are going to be available. I don't know if you can still download them online. Um, I'm going to look to see if we can do that on on this end. but the videos would probably be available and perhaps online. And those of you who registered, I don't know if you can still see them again online, but just wonderful. So that's where I was all week. And I missed all of you, but it was such a, just a treasure to be with the people of God who truly believe, who believe every word the Lord, the, the Lord has taught his church, the faith once delivered to the saints, who believe the scriptures, who believe the Eucharist is truly God and should be treated with the reverence that is due to God alone. So absolutely beautiful. Um, before I left, we were looking at the Catechism Explained um, by, um, let me see, um, Reverend Spiro, um, uh, no, yes, um, Francis Spirago, sorry. Reverend Francis Spirago has the commentary Father Chad Ripperger has written the foreword, and um, it is the Council of Trent explained. It is the full faith. You know, Vatican II's catechism is is just fine. If you read that through, especially read it to your family, absolutely fine. But as you know, Vatican II was not a doctrinal council. It was more pastoral to bring the faith a little present to us in how we live it out, but absolutely no change in doctrine and nothing that we live out could ever negate the doctrine. And so the Council of Trent was the doctrinal catechism. And to learn our faith, we should know this catechism, at least to read through it, talk through it with your family. It'd be a wonderful book for you to get, especially in these days where the faith is being distorted, denied, uh, everything else. Uh, you need to know the faith. We can no longer depend on on uh, others to teach us 
at all. We need to know the faith and we will be responsible, dearest, to God for knowing our faith and living it. We could never say, well, I was living with a man or woman out of wedlock because I didn't, nobody told me otherwise. Uh, If no one told you otherwise, whoever didn't tell you will be responsible. But you will be responsible before God because we have every source to let us know the faith that God has given to us. Um, So I'd like to continue um, with where we left off. And it is in a little section. I don't have the page number with me, but the title is The Church as the Word of God. Church as the Word of God, and it reads, The Holy Spirit inspired, in a very special way, the writers of Holy Scripture. He moved them to write, um, and guided and enlightened them while they were writing. And that's a cross-reference to 2 Timothy 3.16, Matthew 15.3, and Mark 12.36. Um, so again, the, Holy, the, the Word of God is inspired by God but written through men that the Holy Spirit moved to write what God wanted written down for us infallibly. And it continues, the Council of Trent and the Vatican Council have expressed clear, have expressly declared, um, and when this speaks of the Vatican Council, that's the Council of Vatican I prior to Trent, both those councils have expressly declared that God is the author of Holy Scripture. St. Augustine says, it is as if the Gospels were written down with Christ's own hand. The word that I learned in my uh, previous years was superintended. It was almost as if, um, you know, you're teaching a child to write and she's holding the pen or he's holding the pencil and your hand is over them forming the letters. Well, it's not quite that because God did not overlook the, the human instrument and the personality of the human instrument, but he guided them. So if anyone wrote down, would have written down anything that wasn't true, uh, the Holy Spirit made sure it was absolutely true without violating the personality of the author. Let me continue. The writers of Holy Scripture, says St. Lawrence Justinian, were like a musical instrument on which the Holy Spirit played. Yet they were not mere passive instruments. Each writer brings his own personal character with him into what he writes. They are like a number of painters who all paint a building which they see in the clear daylight. Um, Quite correctly they see it, but yet with a great many points of difference according to their respective talent and skill. (coughs) Hence it follows... (coughs) Excuse me. Hence, it follows that there are no errors in Scripture. We must not look to the individual words, but to the general sense. We must not take offense at popular expressions, which are not scientifically correct, as when the motion of the sun, sunrise, and sunset are alluded to. Moreover, since the Bible contains the Word of God, we must treat it with great reverence, Thus, the people always stand up when the gospel is being read at Mass. Oaths are taken on the book of the Gospels. In Mass, the deacon approaches the book of the Gospels with incense and lights. The Council of Trent imposes special penalties on those who mock at Holy Scripture. 
the Jews had the greatest reverence for the scriptures and the precepts therein contained. The 72 books of Holy Scripture are divided into 45 books of the Old Testament and 27 of the New. They are moreover divided into doctrinal, historical, and prophetical books. In the Old Testament, the historical books of the Old Testament comprise first the five books of Moses, which contain the early history of man, the lives of the patriarchs, and the history of the Jewish people up to the time of their entrance into the Holy Land. The books of Joshua and Judges, which relate their conquest of Palestine and their struggles with surrounding nations. And number three, the four books of Kings, which recount their history under their kings. And the four books of Kings became 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. The book that just divided into four books. The book of Tobias, which gives an account of the life of Tobias and his son during the captivity. Five, the books of the Maccabees, which relate the oppression of the Jews under Antiochus, etc. The doctrinal books comprise the story of Job, the Psalms of David, the Proverbs of Solomon, and the books of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom, um, Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiasticus and Wisdom. The prophetical books comprise the four greater prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the 12 lesser prophets, beginning with Jonah, Habakkuk, etc. And I've learned that what divides them between greater and lesser, surprisingly, is just their size. It's just their size. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are large books, and the 12 uh, prophets are smaller books. In the New Testament... The historical books are the four Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles. The doctrinal books are the 21 epistles, including 14 of St. Paul's epistles. The prophetical book is the Apocalypse or of St. John, or otherwise called Revelation, which tells in obscure language the future destinies of the Church. Most of the books of the Old Testament were originally written in Hebrew, most of the New Testament in Greek. The Latin translation of the Bible called the Vulgate is an amended version of the translation made by St. Jerome about 400 AD. The Vulgate is declared by the Council of Trent to be an authentic rendering of the original. Oh, beloved, I'd love to stop on each sentence and have a discussion, but we will never, ever, ever get through this catechism if we do that. So I would urge you, if you can, it's a little expensive, um, get a copy, uh, for, uh, even one copy for the family. And Papa, you could sit down and gather the family up, cuddle at night with some hot chocolate or cold, whatever it is in the summer, and, and read little portions of it and discuss it with the family. It's wonderful. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We'll be back um, right after the break. Um, And to continue this a little, and then after the second break, we'll take your calls, your emails, um, and um, your questions. Okay, and your text. God bless you. We'll be right back.
We offer several ways to view our programming grid, including at our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm so thrilled to be with you always. I am happy to be with you live. We've been going further through the Catechism of the Council of Trent Explained, and we're on the Word of God. Um, and we just went through an explanation of the books of the Bible, that which are historical, which are doctrinal, and such, the Old Testament and the New. And it continues now to say that the most important books of Holy Scripture are the four Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles. The four evangelists relate the life and teaching of our Lord. The Acts of the Apostles recount the labors of St. Peter and St. Paul. The writers of the four Gospels are called four evangelists. Two of them, St. Matthew and St. John, were apostles. St. Mark was a companion of St. Peter and St. Luke of St. Paul on his apostolic journeys. St. Matthew's Gospel was originally written in Hebrew for the benefit of the Jews of Palestine. And he shows how Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament and proved himself to be the true Messiah. St. Mark wrote for the Christians of Rome and chose Christ to be the Son of God. St. Luke wrote for a distinguished citizen of Rome named Theophilus in order to instruct him in the life and the doctrine of Christ. 
We owe to St. Luke many details about Our Lady and many parables not given by the other evangelists. St. John wrote his gospel in his old age to prove against the heretics of the time that Jesus Christ is truly God. He quotes chiefly those sayings of Christ from which his divinity is most clearly proved. The Gospels were probably written in the order in which they stand. St. Matthew wrote about A.D. 40, St. Mark and St. Luke some 25 years later, St. John about A.D. 90. The four Gospels were collected into one volume in the second century. It can be proved from internal evidence that the Gospels were written by disciples of Christ and narrate what is true. We can also prove from the oldest copies, from translations and from quotations, that no change has been made in them since they were first written. The Gospels are therefore genuine, worthy of belief, and incorrupt. On reading the Gospels, we recognize at once that they were the work of Jews, The writers introduce Hebrew expressions. They wrote, they could tell, they wrote before the destruction of Jerusalem, as we gather from their intimate acquaintance with the city. If they had written in the second century, they could not have possessed this knowledge. Their style shows that they were unlettered men. The vividness of their descriptions proves them to have witnessed the scenes and events they describe. The testimony of most ancient Christian writers and the consent of the churches also prove the genuineness of the Gospels. The truthfulness of the evangelists appears in their quiet and passionless manner of writing. They do not conceal their own faults and narrate what they knew would expose them to persecution and danger of death. They all draw the same self picture of Christ. Through writing in different places, although writing in different places and to various readers, the apparent discrepancies disprove any sort of conspiracy among them or any copying from one another. Lastly, it would be impossible to invent such a lofty type of character as that of Jesus Christ. The Gospels have not been in any way altered in the course of time. The earliest copies and translations agree with our present Bibles. The Syrian translation called Peshito, which dates from the 2nd century, and Latin called the Itala, which dates from A.D. 370, besides numerous copies of the original text dating from the 4th century onwards. During the first two centuries, the scriptures were read every Sunday in the various Christian churches and were most carefully guarded. We also find a mass of quotations in the early Christian writers which prove their text to have been identical with our own. The Old Testament has always been most jealously guarded by the Jews, who in their reverence for it counted the very letters There is, moreover, no doubt that God watched over the integrity of Holy Scripture and would no more have allowed the early centuries alone to profit by it than he would have created the sun for the first centuries of men only. 
the reading of Holy Scripture is permitted to Catholics and is very profitable to them. But the text used by them must have been authorized by the Pope and must be provided with explanatory notes. In Holy Scripture, we learn to know God aright. We see his omnipotence in creation and all the wonders narrated in the Bible. His wisdom we see in guidance of individuals and of the whole human race. His goodness we see in the incarnation and the sufferings of our Lord. We have in the saints and above all in Jesus Christ glorious examples of virtue to incite us to the like. The Bible, says St. Ephraim, is like a trumpet that inspires courage into soldiers. It is like a lighthouse which guides us to a safe haven as we sail over the perilous sea of life. It also warns us against sin, shows its awful consequences, as in the story of the fall, of the flood, of the cities of the plain, of Saul, Absalom, Judas, Herod, etc. It contains all that is profitable to man and a great deal more than can be found elsewhere. It is like an overflowing well that can never be exhausted. There is always something new to be found in it. But he, he who desires to understand and profit by it must have something of the spirit with which the minds of its writers were full else he will never penetrate beneath the surface or arrive at its true meaning. I'll just take a little aside here to tell you that before I was a Christian, or the night that as an evangelical Protestant, I asked Christ in good evangelical fashion to come into my heart and take my life, and um, um, someone had given me prior to that time um, a Bible, at least a New Testament, and I went home tried to read it. It was it was Greek to me. I couldn't understand. I wasn't interested. It was boring. It didn't interest me. And then God took over my life, and I went home and opened the same book, and it was absolutely music. It the whole thing came alive. You see, because it is the Spirit of God that wrote the Scriptures, and it is the Spirit of God in us who illumines them to us. He is the author. He can apply them to our heart. This catechism, it it continues. The reason why we are not permitted to read any version of the Bible that we choose is first because the unaltered text and true explanation of it are only to be found in the Catholic Church. Second, because the greater part of it is very difficult to understand. It is only to the Catholic Church that is to the apostles and their successors, the bishops, that our Lord has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hence, the Holy Scripture out of which the Catholic Church draws her teaching cannot possibly be altered or corrupted. Heretics have, on the other hand, sometimes changed the meaning of particular passages in their own favor, or who have omitted whole portions if they did not please them. I was with, uh, a little aside here again, I was with a group of people, even a religious order once, who had a speaker come in uh, to give a retreat to the sisters, and he eliminated all the the miracles of the Bible. Their fantasy, God doesn't do that. 
He doesn't mean that, and he certainly doesn't perform miracles today. It just so the the word of God doesn't change, but there are heretics. There are people who distort it to their own ends, as Peter said. Heretics have, on the on the other hand, sometimes changed the meaning of particular passages in their own favor, or have omitted whole portions if they did not please them. Thus, Luther, Martin Luther, rejected the epistle of St. James because the apostle says that faith without works is dead. The difficulty of understanding Holy Scripture is a further reason for the church's restrictions. How few are there? Pardon me. How few there are who can honestly say that they thoroughly understand the epistles that are read at Mass. And these are chosen for their simple and practical character. St. Peter himself says that in the epistles of St. Paul there are some things hard to be understood and that the unstable would pervert these to their own destruction. St. Augustine says there are more things in the Bible which I cannot understand than those I can understand. The prophetical books are especially obscure, hence the necessity of an authentic exposition of the Bible. Heretics often give a half dozen different meanings to the same passage. The Catholic Church is the authority that God has appointed to explain Holy Scripture has been given. In other, uh, rather, the Catholic Church is the authority that God has appointed to explain Holy Scripture, for to her the Holy Spirit has been given. The child brings the nut that has been given to its mother to be cracked. So the Catholic comes to the Church for the explanation of the Bible. Pardon me, dear ones. This is why only Bibles with explanatory notes are allowed to Catholics. Um, I want to make a comment here that um, not only... um, not only should qualified people should be the bishops... Uh, normally, but not only are quali- those qualified um, should be teaching the Bible, but what I find, um, I, I don't know the word to choose, um, unimaginable, is the fact that the lay people are reading the scriptures at Mass, and most people have no idea what the scriptures are about or even the reading that has been proclaimed because people are not properly trained to read the scriptures. It's a great, great, great sadness. Um, uh, we need to be trained to read. And if you're going to, I'm just saying, if your lectors out there, dear ones, if you're to read a passage of scripture at Mass, Read the entire book, whatever you're in. Read the whole book. Learn its context and learn the message you're reading. You're just not reading a literary book where you open up and you think you're a good reader. You need to get the meaning, the heart of it, across. And you cannot do that without knowing the context. If someone reads a book and says, there's a fire over there, what is that going to mean to you? But if someone says, watch out, there's a fire, that means something. We need, the scriptures need to be alive, sharp, as, as the writer to the Hebrew says. 
There's the music for our second break, beloved. And we'll be back right after the break to take your calls, your texts, your emails. Toll free. The number is 1-877-511-5483. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails. And stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is at a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. Catholic Radio has just been a lifesaver for me. I start my day with it. I listen to it all day long as much as I can. There's always people calling in with people who've lost children, and I love everyone has to say and the advice of the Catholic Church and how to deal with suffering. It has given me the strength to get through the day and to get out of bed each morning. I am very grateful for it. Catholic Radio to me has been very informative on my religion. It has informed me of many things that I wasn't aware of or should have been aware of, and I've enjoyed it very much listening to it. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112, then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family. Good to be with you. This is our half hour together our time together and i love it and i've been gone a little more than a week and so you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the com. let me just see you can text at the toll free number as well um let me just see now um we have an email from Mary who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, our parish priest gave guidance from the local bishop regarding those vaccinated and those not for COVID-19. First, he said, I want everyone to close their eyes for privacy and be very honest and those who have not been vaccinated, raise your hands. I, I, we may have taken this last the week before, but let me read it through. My husband left at that point, and I stayed to receive communion. Effect of June 1, if you have not been vaccinated, 
you must wear a mask and sit in a designated in designated pews. Those who have been vaccinated do not have to wear a mask and can sit together with no distancing. <clears throat> but on the other side of the church, separate from those wearing a mask, unvaccinated on one side, vaccinated on the other. Should we find another church? I'll stop your email to um, answer so far. It's up to you. Um, this is truly crazy. Um, there are, I read an article last night on LifeSite that um, the deaths from the vaccines are tripling. Um, hospitalizations and deaths are tripling. People are dying. They're being killed by the vaccine. Um, people who have had the vaccine are still getting COVID. So it, it's just, um, it's an insanity. Um, but it's totally up to you. There's no should. If you want to remain at your church, sit with a mask uh, on the side of uh, those not vaccinated, do it. And don't worry about it and receive our Lord. If you want to find another church who doesn't have that restriction, certainly do. I would if I could. Um, Her email continues, unless this will be the standard practice for my diocese. I feel this is causing segregation and persecution. It is, potentially from those vaccinated. And now we will be marked in the small town where we live, where everybody knows everyone. Isn't that insane? It's really insane. Don't let it get you. Don't worry. Do what you want. There's no shoulds. Do what you want. If you're afraid of being marked by those um, uh, who are vaccinated or not vaccinated, if it's going to bother you, then then sit with the mask on. It, it's not an issue. Although she writes... Um, I have several autoimmune conditions and do not want to obtain a vaccine. You should not, using in any way aborted fetal cells, even if only for testing and uh, also considering how it was pushed through. I'm with you. I am a devout daily communicant and RN of 35 years with recent early retirement. Thanks for responding. God bless you, Mary. Mary, um, you're an RN. Decide what's best for your health. If you can find a church where that nonsense is not going on, then do it. If you can't, just do what you can and don't let it bother you. Okay, it bothers us all. I can't say don't let it bother you, but I agree that you should not take the vaccine. Um, and let um, and, and just do what you need to do to love our Lord and to receive the Eucharist. Okay. Um, Carmen from California, we have a call. Hello, Carmen. Uh, good morning, Mother Miriam. I just good morning. enjoy your program. I'm uh, so I glad. I have a friend who wants me to um, go to Tai Chi classes with her, mm-hmm. and uh, which I'd like to do because I do need, do need the, the exercise. Um, but I'm wondering what the church is uh, teaching on. I know what they t- teach on yoga, but I'm wondering about Tai Chi or Pilates. I'm wondering if you know anything about those two things. Um, I don't know. I know Pilates became so popular, and I don't know. Hang on a second. Let me just look for you. What does the church teach on yoga? It's not to be done, right? Right. Um, I'm it's sure new about age. That, but I it's not sure about, uh, Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, hold on a moment. I'm so sorry. I'm looking. I'm trying to look it up, but um, my computer is 
uh, spell it T S I. Uh, tai Chi is T A I, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, I think you're right. T A I hyphen. Hold on now. T A I hyphen C H I, I think. Uh-huh. Okay, I've got it here. Um, uh, there's a good article on Catholic Answers, and it says, Is Tai Chi compatible with Catholicism? And. Um, is it contrary to church teaching? Um, it is a form of phys- physical dis- discipline or exercise. Um, it, and it says, as a form of exercise, it is fine, as is learning martial arts to defend ourselves. However, mixing in religious ideas, such as believing we have an energy that is chai, C-H-I, within ourselves that we can harness and control is not compatible with Catholicism. Um, uh, Similar similar to yoga, in its religious expression, Tai Chi espouses pantheism. That, In other words, that there's no personal God and that we therefore somehow are God. Consequently, this enormous religion aspect, religious aspect, must also be avoided. I tell you what, dear one, um, it, it, it seems from what we've just read, it, uh, read let me just finish the uh, little paragraph here. In short, Tai Chi as a form of exercise is fine because its practitioners don't have a monopoly on certain physical movements. But Tai Chi as a means of religious promotion or practice is not more morally permissible. In this light, Catholics should avoid any class in which the leader is promoting or practicing the religious aspects of Tai Chi versus simply using the class as a means of physical fitness for themselves and others. Um, I would totally, my own opinion here, dear Carmen, I would avoid it. I'd absolutely avoid all of it because there are tremendous, wonderful exercise programs and you don't need to enter in to what is not of God, just for the exercise. In, in my mind, I'd be supporting it by, by doing its exercise, uh, by knowing that it's, it's not of God, and it opposes uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would say don't do it. That's not uh, definite. Um, uh, you know, if you want to do it again for the exercise, it looks like you can do that. I personally would not. I don't even want to give, the church says not to sin, not even to get the, give the appearance of evil. And so by practicing Tai Chi, you could say, well, I don't believe in its religious uh, precepts, but I like the exercise. I personally would avoid it altogether. The, the devil's an angel of light, and he will get us to enjoy any part of what he puts out in order that Christ would become less in our lives. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that clarification. I really appreciate it. Okay, dear one, you're welcome. God bless you. Um, We have a text from Elena who writes, I noticed friends and relatives wearing something known as an evil eye bracelet. They say it's supposed to protect them from evil spirits and bad luck. Can you please explain why someone should not wear something like this? Thank you and God bless you, Elena. Number one, um, I wouldn't want to wear an evil eye. God is not evil. Why would I want something from the devil to begin with? I wouldn't want that. Um, 
And uh, if it protects us from evil spirits, uh, I should look that up too, and bad luck, you have the Holy Spirit. You have God himself in you to protect you from, um, from bad spirits. Why would you need to wear something to do? That's just superstition. Um, and I, I would have no part of it also. Um, I'm looking up again. Catholic Answers, beloved, is a tremendous the best resource on apologetics you can have, catholic.com. And there's a little article here that says, the power, um, hold on now. Hmm. Sorry, I just lost my spot. The power of the evil eye, which is called fascinatio, fascination, the power of the evil eye, has been believed in for a long time and is still dreaded in many countries. Um, It's superstition. Um, Hold on now. Um, Those who for whole days prayed and offered sacrifice that their children might survive them were called superstitious. Goes through a history of superstition and the divisions is catholic.com of superstitions as well. Um, let me, and it says the source of superstition is in the first place subjective ignorance of natural causes that leads to the belief that certain striking phenomena express the will of the anger of some invisible overruling power and the objects in which such phenomena appear are for with deify, they become gods. Let me just look up um, evil eye. Let me just see if I can go right to that. This is a long article. Okay, here we go. Um, All right. Um, It says, um, it gives all kinds of um, uh, things, spiritism, um, the interpretation of dreams, philtres, potions, charms intended to excite love, omens or prognostics of future events, witchcraft and magic in all their ramifications, lucky and unlucky days. This is all superstition. Numbers, persons, things, actions, the evil eye, spells, incantations, ordeals, or set, etc. And so I would um, have nothing to do with the evil eye. Let me just see if there's any further reference here. The power of the evil eye uh, has been believed for a lo- in for a long time and is still dreaded in many countries. Okay, the number 13 continues to strike terror into the breasts of men who profess not to fear God. The apparent success which so often attends a superstition can mostly be accounted for by natural causes, though it would be rash to deny all supernatural um, interventions. So you can continue, dear Elena, to read the article at catholic.com, but um, I would stay away from the evil eye, stay away from any superstition any objects that supposedly have any power put within them, because they might, but it will be demonic, not godly. Um, John sends an email and says, Hi, Mother Miriam, how does one deal with unrighteous anger? John, um, 
it would be in defending it as unrighteous. If I know that my anger is unrighteous, if it's righteous anger, like our Lord's anger, then I'm angry about the right thing and God's honor, and there's no problem. If it's unrighteous anger, then I know it's not good, as you do, that's why you sent the email. And if it's unrighteous, I conclude it's self-love, John. My own self-love. I have a particular peeve or a problem or something or I'm offended, and it's the fruit of self-love. Our Lord would never be angry over what is unright- what is righteous. Um, if it's unrighteous, yes. Um, and because he wouldn't be all emotional. I would define the unrighteous anger, dear one, as a personal, emotional, psychological matter that you should identify and see why you get angry, see why you are offended, see what kind of sets you off. And then you can deal with that and change it to a virtuous situation. There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll be right back. It'll be our last segment, and you'll be welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483. My name is Nathan Wigfield, Executive Director of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. Our goal is to help people experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change their life. The Catholic Church teaches us that the Liturgy of the Hours is the prayer that Christ Himself, together with His body, addresses to the Father and that its purpose is to sanctify each day and the whole range of human activity. That means every time we pray this prayer, our relationship with Christ is deepened. We are united to the faithful of every time and place and our entire day and work are made holy unto the Lord. To learn more about the prayer of the church, please visit liturgyofthehours.org or call our retreat center at 814-676-1910. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. <coughs> Excuse me. 
We welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm so happy to be with you today, live, and um, not going on any more trips, so we will be here every day. Um, And you're welcome to call in toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. And the... um, let me see now. This is our last segment, so we've got 10 or more minutes if you still wish to call in. We have an email from Chris, and Chris writes, Mother, I struggle with severe anxiety, but have not yet been prescribed any medication. In the meantime, can you offer me some advice as to how I can manage this? If I do not do something, I live each day with a constant knot in my stomach, even if nothing has happened. It can truly be overwhelming at times and has really taken over my life. I desperately want peace of mind and to eliminate this never-ending worry, but I have failed miserably thus far. God bless you, Chris. Chris, my dear one, I'm going to tell you what I've experienced. Um, I had a time that I was so depressed. I don't know if it was severe anxiety or not. Um, I think there was anxiety, but I, I just wasn't able to overcome things. And I spoke to a psychologist, and she recommended that I take, um, um, it was um, some sort of medication. Um, I said, I need a baby dose. I don't want to be drunk. I don't want anything to change me or overcome me. And it took months, probably took almost a year for her to convince me that uh, I would feel like a normal person not like anybody drugged. My mind wouldn't be all of that. And I finally said, well, what if I have to lose? I'm not getting over this on my own, no matter what I do. Um, and so I took it. And she said, give it two, three weeks for it to kind of kick in. Um, I did it, Chris. And I forgot that I had been depressed. I forgot that I was anxious. I, for- I felt alert. I felt like a normal person. I didn't even feel like someone taking medicine. It was more, I, I said to her, I can't believe I fought this for so long. It was absolutely miraculous. So, dearest one, um, and she tried to convince me, you know, there could be chemical things in our brain or just all different kinds of things. And, you know, she said when we have a headache, we can take an aspirin, we have a cold, uh, we could take a, get sick, we take antibiotic, because the, the body doesn't always function perfectly and the mind does not always function perfectly either and it needs help if i don't if i give up vitamin c or whatever the general vitamins i'm gonna i have celiac i have malabsorption and i'm gonna get very very weak and sick very soon so i can't say i'm gonna tough it out that would be ridiculous so i take vitamins to stay normal to stay healthy to let the vitamins um replenish what my body is depleted from. This is very normal. Same thing with the head. The same thing with that, dear Chris. So I would I would almost beg you to give it a try. If uh, your regular doctor cannot prescribe you something, which some uh, regular doctors can, then see if you could get a reference to a psychologist, um, if you can. And um, let, the, well, I don't think they can prescribe. Maybe you need a psychiatrist an MD to prescribe something for you, but um, I-, I wish you would do that um, and and take it two, three weeks and let me know how you're doing. Email back or call. Let me know. You're struggling all alone. 
Um, I know what it is to be totally depleted of vitamins. I couldn't even walk some years ago. I was so weak. And um, it would have been ridiculous. And when I started taking what I should again, I became normal. My body is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. So I think, Chris, and anyone else who's listening, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of uh, psychological or chemical or whatever it is, medication that is going to give your body something that it's triggered or lacking or something. Don't be afraid of that because you can function as a normal being and you don't have to suffer like you're suffering. We have an email from Kathleen who says, Good day to you, Mother Miriam. I hope the beauty of this day is finding you feeling well and inspired. Thank you, Kathleen. She writes, With the assistance of a truly holy and dedicated priest, I've returned to the church after 30 years' absence. She's 53 now. And see how things have changed. There wasn't even such a thing as divine mercy. That's how long it's been. Well, dear Kathleen, there was always divine mercy because he's the God of mercy. But no formal Sister St. Faustina or, or prayer, you're saying. No formal a holy day. Uh, Kathleen writes, some things feel alienating. The improved, such as the improved translations that changed the congregants' responses during Mass only focuses attention on my sinful absence and is a little uncomfortable because of that. Um, <clears throat> that's good, Kathleen. I understand that. As the translation was changed, everybody was uncomfortable and even many people upset, but they changed it back to what it was. It, when you went to church, it had been changed for the, for the wrong, but it was changed back to what it was. So it's now much, much better and closer to the original. Um, Kathleen says, I'm trying to transition from my imperfect Catholic elementary school training and feel in time with God's grace this will subside. Some of the people, Kathleen's still writing, some of the people in my new parish that do go to Mass post-COVID are very inspirational. A lady this past Sunday knelt down on her knees in the aisle right in front of the priest to receive her Holy Communion, and it touched my heart to see such devotion in her. I'm so glad. I'm so glad, Kathleen. We do that. If there's not a pew and we can go on our knees, we do that before the priest. Kathleen writes, I was not trained to do this as a child, but it made me wonder what else that would feel, what that would feel like. I did not kneel out of fear, out of fear, committing some sort of insult transgression because my motivation was imitating or copying, wanted to be like her, or even perhaps jealously that she is more devoted than me. Oh, don't ever be jealous of someone more devoted than you. Thank God that he has given them that devotion, that you could see such a thing and follow in their footsteps. She said, or perhaps even inferiority, that I didn't deserve the special joy of being that holy. Don't be so self-consumed, my dearest sister. Nobody deserves uh, to be that holy. No, we none of us deserve anything we have. Never compare yourself with anyone else. And the way to cure that is to be grateful for what you have. Always be grateful. You can't be grateful and jealous at the same time. You can't be grateful and feel inferior at the same time. Just be grateful at what God has given you and the enormous gift of this holy priest that brought you back to the church. 
And she says, same thing, same mass, when I saw a young girl in her early 20s wearing a beautiful white veil combined with a modest dress that came down just past her shoulders. Her purity was breathtaking. I love hearing this. I love hearing this because we need to encourage one another to love and good works. I love hearing the witness that modesty and purity and and reverence brings. And she writes, as a child, I remember little old ladies wearing scarves to mass, but that just seemed to be what older immigrant ladies did way back then. But they really don't do that much anymore. I do so and have the material, so cost is not an issue. Only, again, the idea of copying somebody else holds me back. Um, That, and it looks stupid on me, no matter which way I put it on. Oh, my goodness. Um, Kathleen, forget, forget appearance. Forget all that. Do what your heart wants to do. If you see that the veil is reverent, find out why women wear a veil. They wear a veil because what is sacred is covered in a veil, and we are sacred. So find out why things are done. Don't just imitate or copy. Modest dress is very pleasing to God. Immodest dress is very distressing to God and to Our Lady. So find these things out and do what you want to do to walk before God uh, in your heart. And I'll continue your email tomorrow, Kathleen. God bless all of you. We'll speak with you tomorrow.